What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzak, and this is episode six of Untenured Tracks. This week, we're talking to Peter Jung from Roll for Kindness. Peter is a part of the growing applied RPG community, using tabletop role-playing games to help kids improve their social interactions. Enjoy the show. spectrum kind of by accident uh, for several years before. I was doing uh, pickup games at my uh, local game store and uh, I, I used to work in foster care and word got out that hey there's this guy that's a foster care worker running D&D groups. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of foster parents started bringing their uh, kids on the autism spectrum to him. So I kind of got a reputation for being really good at running these groups with autistic kids and so I've been doing this and then I met uh, Dr. Rafael Bocamazzo um, at a an Archer photo shoot, and where we were all cosplaying characters from Archer. I was Cyril Figgis, and um, <laughs> you know he needed a co-facilitator, so he brought me on. Where I started working for Aspiring Youth, and I've been with them for about five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am currently their, I believe, their longest time uh, DM. Okay. I've been running uh, multiple groups. There is the um, the all gender group, which is mostly high schoolers, mm-hmm. and that one has a ridiculously good retention rate. In yeah. fact, uh, one of our kids graduated from that and is now my co-facilitator. Uh, the other group I did was down in Tacoma. I've done a couple of groups in Tacoma, and the last one I did was a girls only group, mm-hmm. and that was very very different from my primary group, which ranges anywhere between six and 12 kids. This was just four kids and, uh, they wanted to talk to everyone and it was radically different from the boys who were much more sword and sorcery. Um, Mm. but it's very rewarding experience. Uh, a lot more focus on confidence building and kind of giving them the courage to really find their voice and be assertive, Mm -hmm. uh, which interestingly enough played out in the very public breaking up, with one of the PCs and a town guard. She dumped him hard, and it was beautiful. And she, like, she's saying in earshot with him, yeah, he, he isn't worth me. He's kind of an idiot. And like, standing right there, like, I know. Cold-blooded. So, yes, very, and beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and in the past couple of years, I've just been really kind of working on uh, trying new things with the medium and really kind of exploring how to approach session design. Because I have a, a master's in education, so mm-hmm. I think about a lot of things in terms of lesson planning. Uh, mm-hmm. What are the end goals here? What are we trying to accomplish? What should the players be able to do by the time this, this campaign is done? So thinking about each kid and what their goals are. Mm-hmm. 
and then kind of designing the encounters around that uh, so that the plot supports them working on teamwork. The, mm-hmm. the encounters they have build that teamwork thing or perhaps finding their voice or being able to be told, no, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can kind of craft these scenarios where a kid will experience a scenario where he is told no or he might have something not go his way or he might need to work as a team to get out of this tricky situation and communicate Mm -hmm. things very clearly uh and to them they just think that okay whatever this is a game this is fun might be a little challenging sometimes Mm -hmm. but they are very much in the game mode and it's also a very safe space Mm -hmm. uh, because no one's really judging you uh you know wacky hijinks are absolutely the norm and the absolute worst thing that can happen is your character could die and I don't kill off characters. Mm-hmm. I, I, I let my PCs be lemmings, which is wonderful <laughs> when they do. Um, but no, I, I make sure that they somehow pass depth saves and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a very comfortable, safe space where they can open up, uh, find friends, find community, mm-hmm. uh, find their voices. And it's just been a real, real wonderful field to be in. It sounds like it. Um, so I want to rewind a little bit and ask you a question about working with autistic kids. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm i very new to this this field, right? Um, trying to get my own group off the ground locally um, and, and trying to find ways to do this for advocacy. And so I've been thinking about not just D&D in terms of like mental health, but also like the broader neurodiversity, right? And so I'm just, this is a long way of just asking out of just sheerly my own curiosity, um, how how does a game with autistic kids run? Like, how does it, what does it look like? Like compared to how you might um, DM uh, a game with kids who are more neurotypical. Do you know what I mean? Am I asking that the right way? Yeah. Like I'm... <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's the thing. We, I'm, I'm, I'm using a term that I'm uh, coining from the Adams at Game to Grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Aspiring Youth, the agency I'm with, we are more diagnosis agnostic. Mm-hmm. So the the diagnosis is useful to know. Mm-hmm. But we're here because the parents, the kids, um, have described a need, um, which may be tied to the autism, but quite often it's not. Okay. Um, or maybe not explicitly so. So that being said, what differs in a game like this is a much heavier focus on role play, mm-hmm. a much heavier focus on building teamwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really try to identify very mindfully what the kids find fun mm-hmm. and transform that into a social skills building exercise. So for example, I once did a four session long uh, a ball, like a, a, a you know, royal dinner. Mm-hmm. And that was like eight hours of role-playing. And it was an absolute nightmare to coordinate because every hour, ten new guests would arrive. <laughs> so by the end of it, I was juggling 80 NPCs, 80 NPCs. On, on a spreadsheet to show oh, them where man. they were. <laughs> and, you know, the kids were, you know, observing, going to different areas, trying to communicate with each other, you know, while staying kind of stealthy and be mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I, I think the deal's happening right now. You know, I, I see so-and-so sitting together with so-and-so, yeah. which might mean that they're about to you know, talk about this. And so 
trying to build up lies and build up these, these facades and these stories and do teamwork. And then of course someone inevitably blows it. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that was a really, really fun thing because the kids were just doing nothing but socializing mm-hmm. and working together and talking with each other and planning. And that's what I want to see. Yeah. Normally in a game, if the players are arguing for 30 minutes or not arguing, but debating mm-hmm. the DM might step in and be like, okay, come on, let's move this along. One time, the kids uh, had stolen something, and uh, there were a bunch of demon guards on this museum, and they they had lied about entering the museum and their purposes, and now they're trying to find out, how are we going to get out of this place? Can we lie our way out of here? Can we sneak? They spent 30 minutes just debating, and I was so happy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm totally not what I planned for the session, but here are kids that generally keep to themselves, are very introverted, don't have a lot of good skills for making friends. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, no, we, we, we got to lie to these guys. Oh, come on, they're demons. They'll totally see us. Sort of. <laughs> and it was it was wonderful. Um, and, uh, of course, well, once they got outside, they realized that the demons had been slaughtered by the big bad. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, big twist. And then, okay, session is over. See you next week. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, that, that's the other thing is you you can throw in a lot of uh, twists to mm-hmm. you know, keep the kids engaged and you know, again from their perspective, it's it's fun. Yeah, a lot of social skills training is very dry and not not very entertaining. Whereas this, the kids are so happy to uh, come into the doors. They're uh, grinning ear to ear. That and then uh, we have like 15 minutes before every session. It's just kind of socialization time, warm up time, and just seeing the kids just cluster together and be like, yeah, I'm thinking of doing this next time I level and yada, yada, yada. And it's, it's, it's really cool building those healthy relationships and building that community, mm-hmm. which I think is really, really important for, um, for, you know, kids these days. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've had a couple, um, clients, you know, that were kind of have had a lot of issues building that community. Mm-hmm. I just on a larger scale, mm-hmm. uh, Community building is such an important skill to have because one of the things I've been reading about more and more is uh, the isolation mm-hmm. that occurs online with you know people without a lot of friends, and that can lead to a lot of radicalization. Yeah, so I think tabletop RPGs can build that sense of community when done correctly, mm-hmm. and there's lots of ways for them to be done incorrectly. There's lots of gatekeeping things. Yeah, but. I try to um, really display how to build a community in a pro-social way, an inclusive community where everyone feels safe, mm-hmm. where you get to be the hero, you get to save, you know, save the world, which mm-hmm. maybe not what they're experiencing, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of them do have a lot of anxiety about what's happening in the world, and being able to you know make a difference mm-hmm. that feels good to them. So I'm curious because this is something that um, the the other faculty member I'm working with locally on our project um, has brought up to me a couple of times. We just so I'm I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but um, I guess for my own notes right now or whatever, we've just filed with our university's IRB um, the uh, data collection piece that we want to do, um, okay. and so it's it's a number of uh, scales on the the students like depression and anxiety and self-esteem and things like that. Anxiety is not in there, but their self-esteem 
um, their social trust, their social self-esteem, stuff like that. Um, but what what she's been concerned about um, is how do we handle it if the students come in and they want to role-play antisocial behavior um, in a setting where we're trying to we're trying to discourage that. And we've kind of not struggled, but like we recognize that it's it's a little ironic isn't the best word, but we're basically teaching them to solve problems with violence and so trying to downplay like the combat aspect of the game. What yeah, do we do yeah. when a kid comes in and says, I want to do this really violent thing? So how do you prevent murder hobos? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, uh, a, a few things. Um, first, uh, no evil characters. Mm-hmm. That is one of our ground rules. We do not allow evil characters. Uh, second, real world consequences. Mm-hmm. So it starts acting out. Uh, you remember in like, uh, Skyrim and whatnot, you know, you, you, you kill a chicken, suddenly the guards come after you and, yeah. you know, 50 levels above you and they, they you know beat you into the dirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have something similar. We, okay. We usually have some super-powered NPC around that can mm-hmm. you know, kind of correct the kids, uh, mm-hmm. usually restraining them somehow or kind of, you know, knocking them upside the head mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, arresting them and they are in jail for the rest of the session because yeah. they try to attack a townsperson. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third thing, and this is something that I'm actually incredibly proud of, Mm-hmm. Uh, is I played the game Undertale. Mm-hmm. And that game is so full of peaceful solutions and weird zany scenarios mm-hmm. that I started putting stuff like that into my games where combat isn't even an option. Yeah. So I, I've had them star in quiz shows. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, there's, there's a character that I kind of modeled after Rick from Rick and Morty who breaks the fourth wall and occasionally he'll put them in these weird uh, sort of wacky genres mm-hmm. so recently we had a you know anime dating sim thing where all the characters were pretending to be these super uh cliched characters like the boyfriend the rival the principal the uh you know <laughs> yeah. stupid future and uh, <laughs> so all, all the kids uh had to follow this sort of script uh-huh. that this uh, supercomputer that was obsessed with uh god what was it called Autumn High Memories was the name of the anime. And <laughs> sounds so, so this bad. Thing was, <laughs> this thing was obsessed with Autumn High Memories. So the kids had to pretend that they were all the characters from them. Yeah. And I, I, I gave them all roles. And they had to be just like the, the, the super smug rival, the uh-huh. big bully, the, uh, uh, the best friend. And so they all dove into these characters. And some of them like intentionally were really good at it. Some of them were intentionally really bad at it. But here's a scenario where combat isn't even an option. Yeah. And then I uh, had a character that was very violent. And mm-hmm. within this setting, uh, and he's just violent across all settings, he's a, a demon called the Stabber. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with a name like the Stabber. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he, he's actually... It's really self-fulfilling cool. prophecy. <laughs> so, so, so one of the kids... He was leading a bandit raid, and he was possessing, you know, a, a elf or whatever. And one of the kids grabbed his attention and let him stab him. And this guy was like, finally, someone who understands. So the two of them got into a relationship <laughs> where, you know, at one point the stabber sent him a message. Hey, I got tickets to uh, the so-and-so play. And by the way, there's there's backstage tickets, so afterwards we can go back and stab the actors. And I'm like, cool. I'll be there at seven. And, uh, but... but but even so, um, <laughs> like, funny stabbing of thespians aside, yeah. I, I, I try to set it where violence is 
generally kind of uh, abhorrent. Yeah. Uh, and not a solution in these scenarios. Um, you know, the the few times I have explicitly wanted any real aggression was well. There's one time as pro wrestling, and that was just wonderful. Um, they quote unquote killed the ref. The ref was the cleric, and he <laughs> pretended to be dead. Just a increased <laughs> But um, I will occasionally kind of put kids into scenarios where I want them to not necessarily be violent, mm-hmm. but be assertive. Yeah. Nation. And I had this one girl who um, I was working with, and she was very meek, very quiet. Mm-hmm. And there was this really pompous noble uh, just talking down to her. And she she said to uh, either uh, Dr. B or me, uh, she said, you know, this is very, very hard for me because I'm not like this. But Iron Soul would not let this guy talk this way about my friends. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to scare him. And so, you know, she grabs a guy by the scruff of his neck and says, like, you shut your mouth and don't say anything else about my friends. <laughs> and, of course, I'm like, okay, you, you get advantage on that role. You're, you're going to pass it. Um, yeah. I had another kid who was incredibly quiet, like, he would just keep to himself, head down, like I'd barely seen his eyes. I'd be lucky to get two syllables out of him. Yeah. And I noticed his character sheet was uh, like a, a novel, I mean, mm-hmm. just all his backstory. And you know, it was about this grizzled dwarven veteran who had been shamed and was just trying to make his way in the world. Very, very epic backstory. And um, they, they had cornered this guy, and the guy had witnessed a, a mob hit and just didn't want to spill the beans. And suddenly this kid looks at me and says, all right, now listen here, Sonny. You better talk to the elf or you'll be talking to me and that will go a lot less pretty for you. You understand? And I was just like, you get a plus 10 because that was wonderful. Yeah. And after that, whenever there was a time when anyone needed to be uh, intimidated, they, the entire table would just be like, go. <laughs> and this, this kid gained so much confidence. Yeah. You know, he went from like being like, you know, arms across the chest being very small to friggin' taking up half the table uh, <laughs> you know, spread out so wide where he's being this person. And so we kind of started telling him, like, be this character, you know, be, take up more space, be more confident. You're, you're obviously able to be this character in this game. So let's see that translated in the lunchroom. Let's mm-hmm. see that translated in your classroom and at home. Be more confident. You know, this character can stand up for himself and so can you. And, you know, he, in our groups, we saw him become the group leader. Uh, very often, he was the, the 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 conscious or sense of conscience. Yeah. The groups, like, no, we can't do this. Come on, let's let's keep on moving. And uh, it was really cool just to see this kid who barely talked become the center of attention mm-hmm. and rise to the position of leader. And mm-hmm. that's something you know. Since we have such high retention rates, mm-hmm. I've seen that happen so many times kids are barely verbal or have other uh you know significant issues stay with the group and next thing next thing i know they're the leader everyone looks to them uh recently had one kid get elected to be the the leader the lord of the castle in absentia like he wasn't even there and I'm like, you know, he's probably the best person for this. So yeah, he, he comes back to the session like, hey, by the way, you're, you're in charge of a castle now. Like, cool. <laughs> um, and it's just been absolutely phenomenal to see uh, 
see them grow like that and uh, become leaders in their own right. I think that is using D&D in a real positive way, whereas a lot of people just allow their people to become murder hobos Mm -hmm. and create worlds where being a murder hobo is a fruitful option. Yeah. And, like, you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. you're, You're the DM. You're effectively God. Mm-hmm. You you control the tone of your table, you control the content of your table, uh, and you absolutely should police um, behavior at the table uh, when it becomes unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, which I have had happen a couple times, and you just come down on it hard. Mm-hmm. I, that's, that's where I, I'm grateful to have uh, my... my my education degree because teacher voice. No, no, not here. (laughs) And shut it right down before it even has a chance to root because, um, it is absolutely unacceptable. And, um, you know, I, I try to run very inclusive tables, uh, very queer friendly tables. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a lot of NPCs who are queer. Mm -hmm. I had some PCs who are queer Mm -hmm. and had some kids, uh, who, are have come out of the closet to me mm-hmm. and to the and that has made me very proud because that means that the kids feel comfortable enough with my table culture and mm-hmm. the culture of the group that I've worked very hard to establish is queer friendly um, that they feel comfortable and the response has been amazing mm-hmm. in fact one of my favorite stories was uh, about this one kid very very a hard time at introductions. You know, he always kind of barges in and is doing his own thing. So this one day, he barges in and kind of announces slash asks, if this were a horror movie, who would be the first one to die? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is actually an interesting question. Let's talk about this. <laughs> so he start talking. And he's like, well, you know, in horror movies, it's always the black guy or the gay guy. And there's, there's no black guy here. Uh, and then, But then the kid says, oh, well, I'm gay. And so everyone's <laughs> like, see, you die first. But then who would die second? <laughs> Like, without skipping a beat, question was, but who is the, who's the next one to die, and who's the killer? Yeah. And so that that was his coming out experience, where no one cared. Was... Like, he would have gotten more impact by saying he prefers pineapple on pizza, at least then someone would be disgusted. But at this point, like, no one cared. They were more interested in who would die second in a horror movie. That might be the best coming out story I've ever heard before. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... it, it, it made me so happy. It's like, well, well, good job on coming out. You would die first in a horror movie. <laughs> like, I'm imagining myself in that scenario and being like, even just hearing it, my I can feel my anxiety, <laughs> like going up and feeling for feeling for the kid. But then when everything, like the group moves on, and I imagine him just sitting there, kind of like stunned having this like oh my god i did it <laughs> everything's mm-hmm. fine kind of reaction um yeah. like that's really cool well our, our group is very accepting um and and i've worked hard to to make it that way yeah um you know they i've normalized uh all kinds of queer relationships queer mm-hmm. characters um of you know all types and it's been a lot of fun i think that has allowed um, the kids to be very comfortable. And yeah. that, that, that's important to me, just to know that you are accepted at this table. And I, I think that that's not even something that's very hard to do as a DM. Mm-mm. And 
people always are like the, the the whole gatekeeping BS is saying like oh it's so hard to do all these things like no it really isn't it's really and not you end up with much more interesting games when you're willing to go outside uh, your comfort zone and that's something that I've been doing a lot more is actually giving them agency to do world building mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I let I actually gave them a town deed and let them purchase ask or like components mm-hmm. to put in a town that will be uh, their starting point for the the next campaign and interestingly enough they went with the theme park really yeah and I was like I would have never thought of that oh. so they they spent like four, like money points or whatever, yeah. on building this uh, that that idiotic Autumn High Memories yeah. anime eating sim. They decided that it was going to be a theme park to this stupid freaking anime that I made as just a one-off <laughs> joke. Then it got big, and now now there is a tourist trap devoted to it that they will be starting out at. <laughs> you have your own Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you you earned this. Have fun. <laughs> I want zero complaints because I'm going to work very hard on making this as. I hope I hope for them. Autumn High Memories takes off because, like maybe maybe one day this podcast or or my other one Strength Track gets big and then we can have like ad breaks for like a fake commercial for Autumn High Memories so, <laughs> in between so the, this the, week on Autumn High Memories. Autumn High Memories. So the the whole concept between Autumn High Memories is that one wizard. Uh, who I based on Rick got mm-hmm. into a contest with this insane wizard who was into zapping people's brains on who could create a better educational system. You know, zappy brain wizard just wanted zapping brains. Yeah. This wizard decided halfway through that, you know what? I really like this anime. I'm going to consider this uh, my educational system. So he marketed it as a form of schooling, this sort of like matrix system where you would go inside the matrix and be inside Autumn High Memories with the most generic <laughs> land protagonist. And um, then the, the stabber got inside the world and effectively turned it into Silent Hill. Yeah. Because there's this very, gonna you know, stab. super <laughs> cheesy thing. And then, you know, the stabber goes in there. And yeah. the sta- stabber starts, you know, of course, stabbing all the NPCs. And the characters are like, wait, no, you, you can't stab the best friend. He's the best friend. We're, we're supposed to go get, you know, Bento after this. It's like, the stab was like, no, I want to stab no, him. He got so stabbed. he's ruining the plot by being a murder hobo. And the kids are trying to stop him. Yeah. And that was so, so nice to have the kids trying to stop a murder stop, hobo. Yeah, stop the rampant violence instead of, yeah. <laughs> it's so, I don't even know, man. That's funny. That's That's really good that, I mean, and a testament to your ability, too, that you're able to turn, like, the typical D&D kind of, all right, we're just going to go around and, and do whatever we want to without consequences, turning it upside down and, and having them kind of resenting the guy who's responsible for all this violence because it's messing up their their melodrama. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really something that I've kind of struggled with for a long time. Mm-hmm. Is player agency versus DM control? Yeah, and I find that let the players come up with the world building aspects. Mm-hmm. Let them inform what what they like about the campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the point number two, mm-hmm. absolutely important. Uh, after every quarter, 
I I asked them, okay, what did you like and what did you not like? Yeah. And they gave me some very frank and wonderful feedback. Yeah. Uh, and they'll, they'll argue with each other about it, which is also good. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, one point that was actually really interesting was I had just like this random scene where there was a crime scene and they had to go investigate it. And the kids said, like, we love that. We, uh-huh. we love the sort of like uh, uh, Phoenix Wright sequence where we had to go pick up clues and stuff. And I was like, really? Mm-hmm. And so I, I put more of that and the kids loved it. They, yeah. they loved the idea of them having to investigate crime scenes, you know, figure out what had happened, very kind of this procedural law thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, helping the sheriffs at this point to present this evidence will keep mm-hmm. this to themselves. So that sort of, you know, crime show intrigue was a massive hit. Yeah. And so in that respect, they had a lot of agency over the, the content. Yeah. Where, um, on that level, I have a lot, they're willing to, hand me a lot more control over uh, what sort of encounters they have mm-hmm. beyond. So they, they have like the superficial thing, like, okay, there's going to be a, a crime scene element, or there's going to be a, um, they really like uh, big kind of coordinated battles, mm-hmm. um, which is fine because they start doing teamwork. Mm-hmm. And I also will have a couple NPCs showing up and being very vocal so they have lots of opportunities to role play kind of intimidate the people do that but you know they're thinking yeah we're, we're getting this great combat sequence my, my thing is well they're they're communicating hey if i give you advantage can you backstab this guy yeah i'll try mm-hmm. but I need this guy to distract this guy so um create i get to create those scenarios where very painlessly because they're they're feeling this great sense of agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will just go into it being very happy, mm-hmm. and that that builds uh, a real sense of ownership. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why we've had such really high levels of, of retention. Mm-hmm. And we we often will have kids just age out. Yeah, they they will start at like you know age fifteen, sixteen, and then they'll go off to college or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. So that was my next question was, um, like from a life course, sociological perspective, thinking about Mm. like how not, not like retention in terms of their participating in the program, but retention in terms of like the skills that they've learned from the program. Um, is there any kind of, um, what am I trying to even, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, does that high level of like new social skills, um, continue after they leave the program or do you see like is there would be like a degradation i don't know yeah so i i don't stay in touch with the kids after the program so um you know it's it's one of those things that i would love to know i'd love to know you know what skills they are are learning and bringing Mm -hmm. those around them but again i we don't really stay in touch with kids outside of our time with them just due to the nature of the agency yeah um that being said, because we have had kids over such a long period of time, mm-hmm. so I, I've watched kids go from having a lot of uh, a lot of significant difficulties mm-hmm. to really being mature leaders. And I, yeah, you know, at least this is what I see in the fifteen minutes before the game, and then in the hour, two hours mm-hmm. that we have together. And just seeing this behavior going from, you know, 
not ready to being a group leader, that's impressive. It is incredibly impressive. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that was my, my suspicion that people have had a hard time tracking kids who go through these programs just because it is such a, like a relatively new kind of thing. Um, so you had mentioned before that you're not just doing like therapy work in your sessions, but you're also trying to do, you're trying to use the game to teach them other things, um, presumably beyond like social skills too. So what's some of the stuff that you're, you're also trying to bring into the table? I know that you talked about, um, teaching them about inclusivity and, and, yeah. and things like that. Um, what else? So re- real quick aside, mm-hmm. uh, the term therapeutic uh, RPGs, I can't use that term. Okay. I'm not a licensed therapist. Uh, the term we use now is applied RPGs. Okay. And um, just kind of on side, for a while it was kind of tricky because there's a lot of people who are not necessarily doing therapeutic groups but they're doing groups very similar to mine where mm. they're kind of therapy adjacent. Yeah. And it wasn't a really good word. And recently kind of the term applied RPGs. Okay. Uh, the forefront. Cause I'm in a similar spot. Like I'm not a licensed counselor therapist at all. Um, mm. I'm a sociologist. Nobody cares about what a sociologist <laughs> wants to do with anything. And so we've, we've been pitching it as like, it's kind of like restorative justice because of who we're hoping to work with, but it's not restorative. It's more, it might be like transformational. So applied RPG is a way simpler, less abstract way to put it. So thank you for that. No, it's, and it's, it's definitely more correct because if you look at what therapeutic groups are doing, mm-hmm. uh, they're doing intense therapeutic work. Like they might be helping someone, process childhood trauma yeah you know helping someone really deal with their ocd and just really heavy therapeutic work Mm -hmm. that you know me as someone who has a more education uh background would Mm -hmm. not feel comfortable even broaching yeah uh so i call what i do applied rpgs okay that's a wonderful umbrella it's one that i hope spreads because uh kind of now that there's the rise of the paid dm Mm -hmm. uh I'd like to see kind of more specialized groups like a Spanish language group because I need to improve my Spanish speaking skills <laughs> um, or a math group with a bunch of math dungeons because I've been wanting to get better at calculus. That yeah. would be nice. Hint, hint, fellow math nerds. <laughs> um, you know, a, a, a hiking group, you know, help, help inspire me to go more hiking, you know, hike a couple hours, go play D&D on a mountain, hike back. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the, the applied RPG umbrella really branches beyond this sort of therapy and therapy adjacent space Mm -hmm. into more um, directed space for specific skill development. Um, But kind of on that note, uh, you talked about lessons that I've taught. Yeah. Uh, uh, Big one is kindness. Okay. Uh, And this was one that came by accidentally. Um, But ever since this one moment happened and it practically made me cheer up. Um, I've been trying to, to do this and that is teach them mercy. And again, kind of on the same vein as undertale, you, you want to show mercy, mm-hmm. uh, but the kids had, uh, cornered the antagonist of the, that year's campaign. And I based this guy on farmer bro, you know, Martin Schukeli. Yeah. this, this guy running this demonic stock market where he bought and sold people's souls. He was the worst. Mm-hmm. 
And throughout the, the campaign, more and more just awful stuff happened to this guy. And, you know, he became a drider. He just became this very spiteful, nasty, just monster of a person. Yeah. Finally, at the end, uh, he's stripped of all his powers. Mm-hmm. And so he's just brandishing uh, a short sword and just like, come on, come at me. I'll kill you all. And uh, they're, they're about to go in for the kill. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, whatever. It's, it's you know, he, he's being aggressive. And then one of the kids holds him back and says, uh-huh. nah, he's had enough. Just let him go. Yeah. And, you know, he actually had to stop one of the kids from, you know, going and, you know, stabbing him in the back. And, of mm-hmm. course, the guy ran off and escaped and, you know, showed up, you know, five sessions later with a bunch of trebuchets. Um, but uh, <laughs> just that one moment where uh-huh. they showed mercy. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, some scenario of, oh, you find some goblin children. What do you do? Oh, we'll be mercy. No, this guy, any group would have said, this guy's bad. He is evil. He mm-hmm. needs to die. And this group, uh, these kids were like, no, he's suffered. He's no longer a threat. Just let him go. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's harmless at this point. And when I realized that, I kind of started looking for opportunities mm-hmm. for them to identify good and be good and kind of see between the lines and kind of, kind of, basic social justice stuff where you realize, oh, this is an oppression thing happening here. Or, oh, this community is being targeted by specific violence related to them. Mm -hmm. That's bad. Let's try and help them. And giving them kind of these opportunities where they can kind of practice being someone who cares, being a good neighbor, being someone who is capable of forgiving uh, you know, being being the person Mr. Rogers would want you to be. I love that one picture of Mr. Rogers playing D&D because I, I want to run games like that where, yes, there are bad things that happen. There's, you know, some rough stuff, but the characters can have a chance to be kind, to forgive, and to build each other up and, you know, hopefully, you know, turn the villains mm-hmm. into allies, you know, Pull a Vegeta. I know everyone's favorite character from Dragon Ball Z. Great example of someone who started out the absolute worst and became still the absolute worst, but he's one of the good guys. <laughs> and so I've, I've had that happen a few times. Um, and the kids, instead of you know, getting violent with these kind of reformed or like neutral villains, they'll just roll their eyes and be like, oh god, he's back. Who wants to talk with him? Uh, n- not I. <laughs> um, but it, it's been really cool to just create these opportunities for good um, and various ways of doing that. Um, other things. I just want to say, like, I, I've been struggling so long to, to figure out, like, what I want Play for Progress to look like and, and ways to sell it to people and um, ways to try to incorporate this stuff into, into the classroom or into groups with my students, because I... I think there's a tremendous power here to do like some guided teaching with like the subjects that I teach, right? Like juvenile delinquency and violence and stuff like that. And what you said, I wrote it down. Practice being someone who cares is like what I want this project to be in a, in a, uh, the best possible (laughs) way to say it that they, 
my students deal and are teaching or learning about stuff that's really, really, really heavy and are expected to go out into the workforce or, or teaching themselves and have a handle on it. Um, but rarely do they get the opportunity to like practice how, what are you going to do if you, you know, you're, a um, a TSS worker, for example, and you have this, this kid who, um, might be, might have some, some antisocial tendencies that make him, uh, or her lash out. Um, how are you going to handle that? Like we can practice it all, all we want to in theory and, in class discussion, but having that way to say here, like, here's your character. That's like, um, basically you, right. An extension of you. And here is this scenario. What does your character do by extension? Then what would you do? Like, that's, that's exactly what I want to, to push people with. You know, that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, when you talk about, you versus an extension of you because mm-hmm. that's something I, I really pay a lot of attention to is um, I kind of see identity and character creation as being kind of threefold. Mm-hmm. You have um, your very reflective identities, which are good for kind of direct teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you want to put a kid into a scenario where, they're angry and they have a character that might have some anger problems and wants mm-hmm. to work on it. So they can very easily empathize and put themselves in that person's shoes. That's useful for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, other scenarios, we might want a more projective identity. Um, I, that's, I don't know, the term I, I like, reflective versus projective. Mm-hmm. And that might be, um, Again, that, that really meek girl who played the really buff half-orc mm-hmm. who, you know, grabbed that noble and said, you know, you, you be quiet. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's for more skill training for them to explore something mm-hmm. that's foreign to them. In this case, that might be being assertive. Um, so that is really useful as well. Yeah. Um, and then one that uh, I think is kind of the projective a little bit, but also the reflective, it's, it's a weird sort of edge case. And I think I, I have a lot of weird mixed thoughts on it. And I, I see it a lot in the wild. Mm-hmm. And I've been that character before. Is uh, I guess I call it the, the black mirror, the sort of re- evil reflection of yourself. The character that is like you if you could stab customers. <laughs> um, and I recently was in a campaign where I was that character. Yeah. I was this kind of sniveling evil knowledge domain cleric who uh-huh. can control people's minds and just psychologically torture them. That's having a really rough time at work. Um, <laughs> and being able to play this character was a really good way for me to, to vent. Yeah. What's this healthy practice of good social skills? No. It's <laughs> a great way for me to let off steam yeah. and all the anger and resentment that I was feeling, feeling very powerless in yeah. this one specific role. Yes, mm-hmm. it was very good for that. And I think that that's something that a lot of people kind of shy away from. Mm-hmm. But I think there is some value in that, in being able to um, safely let out steam. But that's not something that I condone in my own groups. Yeah. That said, I'm not necessarily dealing with people who might need a way of venting things. And again, I don't even know if that's a pro-social thing. 
and that's something that I definitely engage with. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's healthy to yeah. you know, play an evil character and just vent Steam that way. I I feel like it was definitely kind of helpful for me at that time in my life. Yeah. Once I got over that uh, that part of my job, I kind of found the character kind of disgusting. Yeah. Well, I think this is where like the lack of research really is is glaring, right? Like, yeah. yeah. The 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 longitudinal outcomes of playing different types of characters is certainly something that needs to be done in mm-hmm. in this in this field, but is not going to exist for unfortunately not going to exist for a while until yeah. people can get their whole get their hooks into it. But um, so you are the longest interview so far, <laughs> so um, and I'm sure we could go for another 45 minutes, but I'm going to let you go now um, yep. and and get to thinking about. Um, practicing being somebody who cares and how to implement that for my kids. So Yeah, it is. Um, so thank you, Peter. It's, it's a bit nihilistic. Like I'm someone who doesn't care, but this game helps me practice care. <laughs> well, the shoe fits. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, in some cases it could, it, it, there is value. I'm, I'm, we're, we're building empathy here mm-hmm. and it's practicing empathy. So there is a lot of value in practicing empathy because eventually it gets to a point where it's second nature and you kind of think, what would my character be doing if they were trying to be a good person? Mm-hmm. And I always try to push being a good person. There you go. All right. Thank you, Peter. Thank you.